Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Panado. And so our sermon this morning is entitled, Jesus and Homosexuality. Let us pray. Father, as we spend some time in Scripture, considering what the Bible says about this subject, we just pray that that you may lead us, that you may guide us, that you may give us understanding, and and above all, that that you may give us a spirit of, of compassion and a heart of love for all those who may be struggling. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 4. What we want to do this morning is establish what the Bible says about homosexual practice. Genesis chapter 19 verses 4 through 9. What we want to do this morning is establish what the Bible says about homosexual practice. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 4. This is the first time that the mention of homosexual practice is referenced in Scripture. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 4, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. There are two angels that come to Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, Lot takes them in as his guests. And verse 4, they are in the home with Lot, these two angels. And the Bible tells us in verse 4, Before they had gone to bed, all the men... From every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can, if you have the King James Version, it says, so that we can know them. Hebrew was a, they used a lot of euphemisms in Hebrew, and I think there may be a place for that. Modern translations aren't so euphemistic. It says here, bring them out to us, the men of the city said, bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Verse 6, Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind them and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back inside the house. They shut the door, and then they struck the men who were at the door, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. This is the first mention of Scripture, a very violent, a very graphic picture Not just of homosexual activity, but even of homosexual rape. Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16 speaks a little more of the sin of Sodom. 
Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49, the Bible here describing the sin of Sodom under an allegory of describing uh, actually Israel and Judah. The Bible says, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and they did abominations before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. Here, Ezekiel, if if Genesis wasn't as clear about what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was, here Ezekiel outlines what their sins was. The first one, it says pride or haughtiness. The second one, abundance of bread. Is that how the the King James says? Abundance of bread or uh, the translation here says uh, overfed. Uh, Probably a better translation is gluttony. Prosperity. Some say idleness. Some translations say idleness. Some translations say they were at, they were at peace or unconcerned. The idea is there there was just this un- unbelievable level of prosperity where they were just idle. Finally, it says they were selfish. They would not help the poor. And then in verse fifty, it says they were haughty and they did abominations. Now that word there, abomination, is a very specific word that is used in Scripture. Uh, It is only used in reference to idolatry or to sexual immorality. All forms of sexual immorality. Turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 22. This whole chapter, uh, uh, Leviticus 18, is about unlawful sexual relations. As I read through it, uh, it, it spoke to me of Not just unlawful sexual relations, but also of abuse and how detestable sexual abuse is. The Bible says, a man shall not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is abomination. The same word that is used in Ezekiel chapter 16, for that is an abomination. Let's keep reading here verses 24 through 30 and notice how often... uh, Uh, the Lord repeats the same idea. Verse 24. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Homosexuality is not a new thing. The nations that occupied Canaan at that time were practicing it since the earliest of days. Verse 25. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you, you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born and the foreigners residing among you must not do any of these abominable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And God keeps repeating this because repetition deepens impression. Verse 28, and if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, not just what's found in verse 22, but what's, done in, what's found in all the chapter, in the entire chapter. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, these abominable things, such persons must be cut off from their people. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you came, and do not defile yourselves with them, for I am the Lord your God. The Bible seems to be pretty clear about it, doesn't it? 
Unfortunately, there's a story in Judges chapter 19 where the exact identical thing that took place in Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot took place in Judah. There is a Levite with his concubine. And it is a horrible repetition of the events of Sodom and Gomorrah without the miraculous intervention of God. And in Judges 19, we see the great evil that we, men, are capable and responsible for committing against women. They wanted to rape the Levite. The Levite instead put his concubine outside and they raped her and they beat her and they abused her and they tortured her all night. She came back crawling to the door at the morning and she died. Horrible story. We won't read it at this time. Judges chapter 19. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 also addresses the issue of homosexual practice. The wrath of God, the Bible says, is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, now this is interesting. Is God's truth being suppressed today in our society? It's incredible how the secular agenda today is being so militant in suppressing the truth about God. Where they, it are, they are making it hard for us as Christians to say what we believe. Because it's starting to, to, to become offensive. Some even push it to be a hate crime if we say what we believe. They are suppressing the truth of God. It's happening in our day. And notice the connection in Romans chapter 1 between the suppression of God and sexual immorality. Verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, they're not ignorant of it. They're in willful denial of the truth of God. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's, invisibles quali- God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And so we hear people today that they're atheists. We hear people today that they're agnostic. We, we hear people today, they're not sure whether they believe or not. The Bible tells us that they do know the truth of God's Word. But they have... They have purposefully and intentionally decided to ignore it. Let's keep reading here. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity or sexual immorality for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Romans chapter 1 presents this close connection between suppressing truth and engaging in sexual immorality. Verse 25, verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the days of Paul, in our days. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women, and they were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 32. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible is very clear about homosexual practice in Scripture. In summary, the Bible prohibits homosexual practice and all forms of sexual activity outside of marriage. Uh, Matthew chapter 19 here I believe Jesus speaks to um, another issue, which is called gender, gender identity, uh, another issue that you've probably heard of, uh, where Jesus uh, grounds marriage uh, in, in gender, in heterosexual gender. Um, we'll see that here in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 and 4. So some Pharisees came to Jesus and asked them, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for, for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. Um, as, far as, as far as we're concerned, the Bible says and Jesus says there are two genders. There is the masculine gender and then there is the feminine gender. There is male and there is female. And in fact, Jesus grounds heterosexual gender as the basis for marriage. Verse 5. And he said, verse 5, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but, what, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And so Jesus gives gender, heterosexual gender identity, male and female, as the basis for marriage. Is that, is that, is that clear? Um, and, and there's a reason for that. God knows how he created us. He knows what is best for us. Children need a mother and a father. Children need a mother and a father. Whether that is in, in a heterosexual setting of divorce. No, your children need you. I mean, if, if any reason not to get divorced is because your children need you, find a way to make it happen because children need a father and a mother. But it's also true in the context of homosexuality. Two, two fathers just doesn't work. Two mothers doesn't work. A single mother doesn't work. A single father doesn't work. Yes, God can maybe work through that, but that's not God's ideal. There's a reason why we need, we need fathers. I don't know you, but I, I still need my father at the age of 35. I still need my dad. I still call him up. You know, I still need my mother. We, we need that. God knows how, what he, how he created us. He knows what is best for us. In fact, the studies indicate that children who grow up outside of that traditional home of a, of a father and a mother, there's a lot of different challenges that they face in life, especially so when there are two fathers or when there are two mothers. So what do you do when you have individuals who are biologically male, but they feel they are female? Or a female who is biologically a female, but feels she is a male? And now we have all other kinds of categories as well. Uh, what, how, what do you do? How, how, how do you handle that? Um, how, do you, how do you approach that? 
Um, I, think, I think that the way we should approach it is that even though God at the beginning created us male and female, uh, the truth is that we live in a broken world. We live in a, a sinful world. Uh, we live in a world where not everything turns out the way we expected it to turn out. Uh, Matthew chapter 19 and uh, in verse uh, uh, 12, listen to this insight from Jesus. In it. Uh, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 12, what do you do with individuals who feel they are not what their biological gender says? Uh, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 12, Jesus says, for there are eunuchs. Uh, eunuchs. Eunuch is a male who has been castrated and he no longer has the function um, as, as a male. And Jesus says, for there are eunuchs who were born that way. Sometimes that's just what happens. You're not born with the function that you should have. And so when we approach individuals who feel the opposite of, of, of what they really are, I think we should be compassionate with that. Because not everything always works the way we expect it to. But then Jesus says, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. So there are some individuals who do not have that function because it was forced upon them from an outside, external source. And then Jesus continues and says, and then there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we don't have any evidence right now to suggest that, that, that you're born that way, um, as far as that you're born with an attraction, uh, a homosexual attraction. Uh, there's no scientific evidence for, for that. But if someone says that that's how they've been ever since they were a little child, who, who am I to say that, that, that that's not how they feel? It's very real. It's very possible. There are others who engage and, and become homosexuals, the second category, the first one is an internal. It, it just, that's maybe how they were born. Maybe that's just how nature, nature made them. But then the second category, it, Jesus of eunuchs says, those who were made by others. Uh, when we consider homosexuals, there is a group of homosexuals that become homosexual because sometime in their youth and in their childhood, they were sexually abused. And I can't speak stronger the importance of making our homes in our churches a safe place for our children. The majority of sexual abuse does not happen by strangers. The majority of sexual abuse happens by a father, by an uncle, by a brother, by a cousin. It's so important to make sure our homes are safe places. Not just our home, but also our churches. Because it happens at churches, and I say, Lord, you know, talking with our safety officer, you know, and we tell him, let's make sure that our our facility here is secure. That we have deacons that are that are roaming, making sure the doors are are closed, are locked. No, no, nothing's happening. You know, walk around here, roam around here. The elders, uh, the pastors, and, and we sometimes even have to be careful about pastors and elders and deacons. You know, because they've done it as well, but if we can make our, our, our church a safe place where we have zero tolerance Amen. for sexual abuse. Amen. Children, children were meant to, 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 to have fun and, and to laugh and, and, and let them be children. Let them have fun. 
Children don't have the capacity to process all the emotions and the feelings that come with sexual activity. And so when they are sexually abused at a young age, it throws them into confusion. And when I have to hear the stories, it just breaks my heart to hear little children that have been defiled by adults. Let us protect our children. Let us protect our children. Let's make this place a safe place. And then finally, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 and and, uh, Matthew chapter 19, he says that some are made eunuchs because they're born that way. Uh, Some because others have made them that way. Others because they choose to live that way. Uh, I have encountered situations where individuals choose to live a homosexual activity either because of exposure, and this is where the confusion comes in from society and from media. Uh, They're exposed from a young age that it's okay, um, and so they kind of grow up that way and they think it's okay when it's not okay. Uh, Some individuals engage in homosexual practice because of disappointment with the opposite sex. They had a terrible marriage. Their husband was terrible. And so then they decide to see, well, you know, let me try something different. Um, I, I think in, in all this, though, we need to be sensitive to wherever anyone is. And I think we've all known someone um, who is homosexual. Um, ever since I remember when I was a kid in the Spanish church, you know, there was Bob. You know, and Bob was, uh, I think I was 10 or 11, and uh, Bob was uh, probably 18 or, or 20. And uh, he, was, he was gay. And, uh, but he was a wonderful guy, and uh, he let out an AY. I'm thinking about AY. He let out an AY, and, and he was very energetic. He was very kind. Um, but we all knew uh, that, that he was gay, but nobody ever spoke about it. No one ever talked about it. Um, in my previous district, there was a young man that was struggling with his sexual, um, with, with uh, homosexual uh, practice. And, uh, you know, one day, he just finally couldn't do it anymore, and he said, you know what, Pastor, I'm, I'm gay, and I'm going to be living a gay lifestyle uh, from now on. And, um, you know, I, I told him, you know, I wish you, we, we, we could have talked about this, you know, before. I wish we could have maybe sat down. And he says, no, I've made my decision. I've told everybody. And uh, to this day, he's still living a homosexual lifestyle. Um, there is an individual in the church where I was a student pastor, um, where he was a child that grew up in that church. Uh, from a small age, um, and then very active in church. He's 18, 19, and he just recently told the church board that he is gay, and he will be living with his partner. There's probably more stories, and, and I'm sure all of us uh, maybe even have family members um, who, are, who are gay and homosexual. I think that we need to be sensitive uh, to that. Uh, I think that the struggle is, is very real. Um, Romans chapter 7 and verse 23 this is uh, the Apostle Paul saying, um, where, where he's talking about, the Apostle Paul is, is talking about the reality of living in a sinful world. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I, uh, the Apostle Paul says, I don't do what I want to do, but what I hate, that I do. And he says, it's sin that is living in me, that I keep doing this evil. And, and when, I, when I sit down and I've, I've met with these individuals, they, they are individuals that are con- not confused, but they are in a struggle. And they're confounded, and, and, and they know that they shouldn't be doing these things. But yet the pull is so strong. Because I think one of the hardest things about homosexuality is that we are sexual beings. We are sexual beings. We are male and we are female. And God created us to be able to experience our human sexuality. 
and to find joy and to find pleasure and to find fulfillment, God created us to have sex. And it's a good thing. Within the bounds of marriage, He created us to have that experience. We are sexual beings. Abstinence is not the norm. As heterosexuals, we have the opportunity to find a spouse and to be able to marry them and then to be able to experience sexual fulfillment with our spouse. But when it comes to a homosexual, the call then for him is abstinence. That's tough. That's tough. What if I told you you guys had to be abstinent? That was a condition of membership. Abstinence. How many of you would be members of this church? Remember the Shakers? Uh, that was one of their, uh, that was one of their uh, beliefs, and that's why they no longer exist. So I think it's especially difficult when you find an individual who has those propensities, who has those leanings, who has those desires, because sexuality is such an intricate part of who we are. Again, we, we are sexual beings created to express our sexuality, to find joy, pleasure, and fulfillment in us within the confines of, of marriage. Abstinence is not the norm. And so when you find an individual who is attracted to the, opposite, to, to, to the same sex, it is a real struggle that they are going through. Knowing that they will never be able to have that kind of sexual experience and fulfillment. It, it's, it's asking them to, to deny uh, their sexual identity and their sexual fulfillment. And, and that is, we, I think we have to be very sensitive with that. Real struggle there. Some of us struggle being sexually faithful while we are married. We have a spouse who can satisfy us and fulfill us, and we still struggle with being faithful. How much more an individual who doesn't have that opportunity? But the Bible calls us, though, to self-denial. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. I mean, this is, you know, and everyone's struggle is different just because that's their leaning. Let me talk about that, though. Just because they may have been born that way, we're not sure, but just because that that is their tendency does not make it right. All of us are born with some type of of sinful propensity, whether that's lying or stealing or, or, or heterosexual immorality or homosexual immorality, we all have our sinful propensities. In fact, you know, there's this thing about alcoholism. We have found that there is that, that gene that makes you more, more, uh, a greater propensity towards alcoholism. And with those individuals, we don't tell them, well, that's just the way you're made. That's the way you're geared. So go ahead. Have at it. We don't tell them that. Because we know that even though that is their tendency, the behavior is destructive for them and for their being. Same with those who, who may have that, that tendency and that feeling. Just because they have it, it doesn't make it right. Because all of us have a certain propensity to evil. It does not make it right for us to fulfill that propensity. The struggle, the struggle is real, as we read. You know, the good that I, that, that I want to do, I can't do. And, and it's the evil that I can't, I, I can't do. How frustrating. It is sin that is living in me. I mean, our DNA is damaged. Everything about us is damaged. The beautiful thing there is that Romans chapter 7 does not end in a moment of despair. Because when he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The answer is, I thank God for Jesus Christ, our Lord who gives us the victory. It may not be easy, but Jesus is calling us to save, to to, to deny ourselves. 
Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now, having said that, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 11 now. If I can't emphasize more the importance of compassion and understanding with individuals who are conflicted uh, with this, with homosexual attraction, whether it is natural or whether it is external or whether they choose it. Notice what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 23. And you, Capernaum, you know who Capernaum was? Capernaum was the city um, in Galilee where Jesus did many of his miracles. In fact, we believe that some of the disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were, were from Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades or to hell. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Isn't that heavy? What was the sin of Capernaum? Well, Jesus came, did some miracles. Did they believe in him? No. But the uh, members of uh, Capernaum, though, they were Pharisees, and they were uh, religious individuals, and they were pious individuals, and they believed in the Torah. But Jesus comes, and they don't believe his miracles. And then Jesus says, turning the pages, Jesus says, Sodom will rise up. Sodom, who we know as being so evil and so wicked because of the abominations that they did. Sodom will rise up and will condemn you, Capernaum. That should make us, I think, pause I don't know if I put the quote up there because, you know, we somehow have this idea that because you're a homosexual, you're a worse sinner than anybody else. The drunker is despised and is told his sin will exclude him from heaven. And why do we focus on the drunkard? It's pretty obvious, right? You know, he's, he's falling around, he's the alcoholic, and he's, you know, doing all kinds of things. Uh, and replace that with the, the adulterer. It's despised and is told that his sin will exclude him from heaven. The homosexual is despised and told that his sin will exclude him from heaven. But then notice what she says. While pride, selfishness, and covetousness too often go unrebuked. And it is these sins, the pride, the selfishness, the covetousness, it is these sins that are especially offensive to God. So it should make us pause. So if you are straight like a pernum and you're straight and you go to church, but you're proud. The Bible tells us that Sodom will rise up in the judgment and condemn you. So I think we need to have a heart of compassion, not despising others, but to be able to treat everyone with love and with respect. Can we love them? Can we accept them for who they are? Can we come to a place as Christians where, where, where people, they know that we disagree with them, where, where they know that we do not believe and we do not endorse a homosexual lifestyle, that they know that we disagree with them, but that, and we disagree with their lifestyle, we disagree with their choices, but that we still love them. Can, can we find that balance? Can we find that approach that they know that we are still, that they are still accepted with us even though we disagree with them? I don't know if I didn't even know if I should have put this up there or not. There's a church that has become infamous, the Westboro Baptist Church. And um, this is their ministry. This is how they reach homosexuals. Um, do you think that they're very effective? 
you know, and, and as, I, as, I look at that, and I, as I look at that message, you know, I think may, maybe there's another approach. You know, may, maybe there's a better one. How about instead of saying, God hates you? Because I have yet to find that in the Bible. Have, have you found that verse, that chapter and verse in the Bible that says God hates you? I, I haven't found it yet. If, uh, if you find it, let me know. Instead of telling them God hates you, how about we say, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. And everything and everyone in the world. Despite their deficiencies, despite their struggles, despite their choices, God is the only one who is able to love someone despite their sin. You know, we say that all the time. You know, love the sinner, uh, hate the sin. But yet, how often do we do that? We put them together, we can't separate them. But there is one in heaven who loves the world so much, everyone in the world. That he gave his only son. He loves that individual, that sinner so much. He loves you and me so much. That he gave his only son. Because he loves you so much. If you don't know how much that hurts, just ask me and I will tell you. That God could love us so much to surrender his son so that we could have life and eternal life. And we could find grace and forgiveness and acceptance. Maybe there's another approach that we can take. Let's stand and sing our, our closing hymn. How deep the Father's love for us. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with them at www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.